Welcome to Chewing the Fat, the Yale Sustainable Food Program's podcast that looks at people making change in the complex world of food and agriculture. I'm your host, Erwin Lee. As physical distancing measures continue in the city of New Haven, a number of food-related organizations have expanded their work to serve people in need. The New Haven Food Policy Council is a collaborative working group that advises the city on local and regional food issues. The other week, it held its regular monthly meeting over Zoom gathering many of the city's food activists, nonprofit leaders, and more. It was a powerful look at the many efforts and calls to action happening across the ecosystem of New Haven. These developments had us thinking about a story that one of our students, Amy Zhang, had been working on earlier this year. She'd been looking at New Haven's food landscape, listening to organizations share why they wanted to create change on food-related issues. What followed were amazing accounts of people, each working in their own ways to center inclusion. I think these stories help explain at least some of New Haven's unique food work and why people care so much about supporting one another right now. Take a listen. In the city of New Haven, there is a robust ecosystem surrounding food-centered community building. Grassroots organizations play diverse roles in using food and agriculture to bring people together and to strengthen the city. In particular, some nonprofits spring forth to bolster the inclusion of marginalized populations. I wanted to learn more about how the city's vibrant urban context uniquely gives rise to and supports this kind of work. New Haven has some really fierce advocates, you know, food system advocates, housing advocates, anti-racism organizers. There's a really vibrant arts and culture community. And not to say that any of these things surprised me, but while I was a graduate student at Yale, I wasn't as engaged in these things. I was focusing on international development and like tropical resources while I was in graduate school. So a lot of my focus was toward other places. But now as a non-student, I'm really thrilled to be a part of this vibrant, active, small city. That was Latha Swami, the city's director of food systems policy, a position uncommon to many municipalities across the nation. This role is a direct product of the time and energy of New Haven's food activists, who wanted to put concerns related to the food system on the table of policymaking. Her role within the city government gives her a high-level perspective of how different actors on the ground contribute to the local food landscape at large. There's a lot of unpaid advocacy work around these issues and topics, but there are several community gatherings, such as dinners and events. I'm sure you've heard of, for example, Sanctuary Kitchen. There used to be events through the New Haven Food Policy Council and with local culinary experts and catering specialists. There's a lot of opportunity to also kind of like dig in the dirt together and like learn about how we grow and produce food. So there's the Love Fed initiative that is really active in working with youth and other people in the community. We have New Haven Land Trust, New Haven Farms, which is now merged into a new organization. And they do a lot of activities in their community gardens that are spread out throughout the city. There's a lot of community farm-based wellness and health programs and education there are culinary programs in the senior centers. There are just a variety of ways that community comes together around food. And I am sure I am missing a million things. 
food has the ability to drive economic development within the local refugee community. People who resettle face unique challenges in adjusting to a new life, and this includes finding a new job. The city is home to a resettlement agency called Integrated Refugee and Immigrant Services, or IRIS for short. It was founded in 1982, a year nestled in the long time period during which the U.S. led the world in terms of the number of refugees it welcomed inside its borders. And even though the national refugee admissions cap has now dropped to historic lows, New Haven continues to welcome refugees and IRIS continues to operate, having resettled 330 people in 2017 and 120 in 2018. I spoke with Sumaya Khan, the founder of Sanctuary Kitchen. We run refugee and immigrant-led cooking classes and supper clubs and other culinary events where we partner with other organizations and businesses that highlight the cultures and the stories of the refugees and immigrants that we work with. And that's actually how Amina joined back in 2017. She was sponsored by JCAR, the Jewish Community Alliance for Refugee Resettlement. And they approached us and said, you know, Amina is an amazing cook mm-hmm. and she wants to get involved. So Amina was in the first batch of chefs who hosted supper clubs where she prepared these beautiful Syrian dinners wherein the host and the guests would get together with Amina and eat her food together. And she would share her story and get and they would get to know each other. So these events, we do about three to four events a month. And then last year, we launched our catering social enterprise. And that's when Carol joined with her expertise to really build out our catering program. And this is an opportunity for refugee and immigrant chefs to actually have employment and get professional development training. But the goal is to, again, provide regular employment with a livable wage and then provide training opportunities for the woman to gain the skills that they can get for gainful employment afterwards. And for most of the women, it's, this is their first like professional experience. And for women in particular, you know, they face a lot more barriers to employment. And then when you add in language and not having a community, it becomes even more challenging. Urban agriculture, on the other hand, has recently gained a surge of attention for its ability to tackle food insecurity with its community gardens and farms. This is especially pertinent in New Haven, as it is populated by low-income residents and urban areas that lack easy access to affordable and fresh foods. In response to this, City Seed, a nonprofit that helps Sumaya launch Sanctuary Kitchen, regularly operates farmers markets that allow shoppers receiving SNAP benefits to get locally grown, healthy produce. Raven Blake, who was born and raised in New Haven, is another food advocate who hopes that urban agriculture will help create an equitable food system in the city. She and her friend Deshaun Harris co-founded the Love Fed Initiative, and her area of interest doesn't seem too surprising given her family history. I remember distinctively going grocery shopping in my early 20s one time with a friend, and they were shopping with me and I was like they're just kind of keeping me company while I was grocery shopping and then I'm grabbing fresh produce and they're like wait you get you don't get canned green beans and I'm like wait why would I get canned green if there's fresh ones right here and I think that always kind of stuck with me because I'm like we both grew up here like wait what and your perspective of food is different from mine and thinking back to where that comes from and I think that's very much a part of my like family history is that on both sides of my family my father's Jamaican and my mom's African-American and I'm a third-generation New Havener here. So from my father's side, they were farmers in Jamaica. And then on my mom's side, they were farmers down south only a few generations ago. And when they migrated up north, 
for better opportunities and things like that, they were also doing urban agriculture. They didn't call it that. They were just living and growing food as they know it. Like if you have land or you have a home, then you're going to also grow food on it. The team at LoveFed helps people grow their own food and promotes localized agriculture within New Haven. They do this by connecting with residents and helping them set up garden beds in their own backyards, which would become fertile sources of fresh produce. Not only do barriers of entry exist for immigrants and refugees resettling in New Haven, other barriers and disparities exist locally, such as a lack of representative leadership across various sectors. New Haven is a majority-minority city, and the African-American community makes up the largest minority group here. However, this demographic makeup is not reflected in the leadership roles across the city. Love Bet aims to tackle this challenge. We co-founded the organization, both being Black, young, born and raised in New Haven. He has a background in urban farming, and I have a culinary background, as I was telling you before. We met through gardening at our community garden, and he helped me to build garden beds for my house. And we'd always meet up and find ourselves talking about food and kind of the changes that we wanted to see in the city and that we never saw people who look like ourselves or other community members that live in New Haven or in Connecticut leading nonprofit organizations such as the ones existing in New Haven. Love Fed and Sanctuary Kitchen are both doing important food-related work in the city. However, it's important to recognize that they exist in and interact with a dynamic food systems ecosystem composed of many interrelated parts that's unique to New Haven. What's kind of unique about New Haven is the size of the city and the kind of different parts of the food system that are represented by the various organizations. So... Like I mentioned, at the Food Policy Councils and elsewhere, small food business owners interact with people who are experiencing hunger, who are working at health clinics, who are new parents, who are trying to start community gardens. And I think that the size of the city allows for a lot of these advocates to meet and talk with each other. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a bit unique as compared to New York, where you have little pockets and kind of like specific communities around like these are the urban gardeners so we all work together and they might not interact as much with breastfeeding advocates but here in New Haven I've noticed that there's a lot of intermixing and building power across these issues because a lot of people see them as food system issues that are cross-cutting and helps to support each other in their work. We'll be right back. Hey I'm your host Erwin Lee. If you're enjoying this episode so far, please subscribe, share, and leave us a review. Your support empowers and inspires us to tell more stories and reach more people like you. In other words, you're helping us be us. Thank you for listening. Now back to the show. While different actors enter the New Haven food landscape from their own distinct angle and personal history, One common thread that connects some of them is the importance of visible representation and having your story heard. In particular, Sanctuary Kitchen and its food gatherings serve as a bridge-building platform that facilitates cultural exchange between different residents who all call New Haven home. What we've witnessed through Sanctuary Kitchen and the people who participate, both from the chefs, the community, 
from the staff are these connections that are made that are otherwise really difficult to make. So participants who come to attend our events, I mean, this is usually sometimes their first exposure to somebody from Syria, from Sudan, from Afghanistan. And, you know, they might have heard about them from the news or from, you know, headlines. But when they're actually face to face and sharing a meal with our chefs, I mean, they're getting a human story and learning that they're just like the rest of us in terms of wanting a safe home, opportunities for their families, education mm-hmm. for their kids, and that no one willingly leaves their home unless they have no other options. Amina, a refugee chef at Sanctuary Kitchen, shares her experiences working there and how it has helped her connect parts of her past with her present to adapt to a new life in America. I work with Sanctuary Kitchen. They give us a permanent to work with them. It's a very good idea for the woman. They come to a new country on different kosher. The system here is very good work. They have them here to teach us about how to grow business like food and give us community and for like not just me, also for the woman no speak English, especially when it came to here out in English. It's very hard to find job. Lovefed, on the other hand, uses farming education to facilitate the representation of African-American history and agriculture. Another uh, one of our campaigns is urban farming education, which is available at some places in some programs for youth in the city, but also it doesn't specifically address history as far as like Black farmers at all. So there's no real historical context. It's more of an environmental approach or just this is why you should just grow food because it's good for your health. to make a deeper connection for people. They need to see themselves reflected in what they're doing. So there needs to be a narrative and in context and history and a connection that needs to be made. To a mainstream audience, the work that LoveFed does, urban farming, may seem like a newer trend, but the organization wants to dispel that myth by sharing a history that has been somewhat erased. And they just didn't call it urban farming. So that's kind of the point I'm saying. I'm just like, yeah, this is like, oh, yeah, urban farming, urban ag. We can do rooftops. We can do this. This is cool. Like, da, da, da. Okay, yeah. But it's not new. There are a lot of white-led nonprofits who are doing this work, too. So I think for younger people coming up in New Haven, especially if they're Black and brown, they don't see themselves running these organizations. Demystifying that Black people don't grow their own food is definitely one thing. And for LaFed, being a Black-led organization, it's understanding all the nuances of why especially Black folks have feelings around food or farming in particular and urban farming. There's a lot of associations still with our history of knowing just like, okay, you don't do like this type of work because this type of work reminds folks of slavery, right? So unpacking that and kind of creating healing space and conversations around what is actually when you are farming and there's a sense of empowerment that comes with it. There's just so many other things like to have a relationship to the land is actually healing in a lot of ways and therapeutic. There are just so many benefits that come from growing your own food. One just being like you can sustain yourself, like there's a self-resiliency narratives especially it's very important to be intentional and clear about your the narratives and and what's being said as these food-centered nonprofits work hard to dig into and amplify certain marginalized narratives within the city they facilitate avenues for those and their target populations to come together strengthen bonds and build power 
Raven clarifies how urban farming fits into today's modern context by affirming how the generational roots of urban farming may be more widespread than we think. A lot of people, no matter what their background is, have an agrarian lineage. For folks who were born and raised in the United States, especially for folks who are immigrants, like folks have a long history in their family of folks who grew food. And even when they were initially placed into or migrated to urban areas, they were still growing their own food. But urban farming is still not without its modern day challenges, especially regarding land access. Urban areas have a greater population density and development projects are not an uncommon sight in New Haven. A lot of our, our problems from an urban ag standpoint are food access and housing development go hand in hand with land and power dynamics in the city. So I've been interested in having more conversations with people around those things. So in like what ways can we organize potentially together around kind of basically the same issue? It's land. Like who's being pushed out or moved around or what's happening there? Displacement then may not just be a faraway issue that refugees from far corners of the globe face. It's a local issue affecting vulnerable populations that lurks in the very communities we live in. Recognition of this problem and giving it its due attention are key steps towards creating more inclusive solutions. Meanwhile, the refugee chefs who experience their own form of displacement in nations across the world have converged inside Sanctuary Kitchen. They build community together through food. Amongst the chefs, never in Syria or in Afghanistan would you have Sudanese woman, an Afghan woman, a Syrian woman, an Iraqi woman sitting together uh, rolling grape leaves. Amina has also created her own dish that has gained broad community appreciation at City Seeds Farmers Markets. When I came about Sanjuri Kitchen told me I want dishes, uh, they asked me how to, how to make muhammara. I know the muhammara different way, but when I asked, they told me different what I remember because I didn't was do this guy in muhammara. And ask my mom, and my brother, my brother, chef Middle East food in Saudi Arabia, five stars. Yeah, and he chef there, and uh, he he called me, and I asked him about this kind, this Muhammad. How was he told me, and after he told me, I didn't like the recipe for him. I I pulled some from them and from me my recipe, and I make one dish named Muhammad. This my recipe. I didn't uh, get this far uh, dishes from my mom or from my country. I make this. It has a cult following. It's quite <laughs> delicious. Can you explain what's in it? Yeah, yeah. This dishes is very healthy. Yeah, walnuts with uh, pepper, roast pepper and onion, olive oil, pepperoni molasses, and uh, hot uh, sauce uh, pepper. Dishes is very healthy and uh, fresh. It's a, a dip. Yeah, you eat it with yeah. uh, bread or oh, vegetables. Yeah, if yeah. you go to farm market, you find this. <laughs> it is one of our most it, uh, popular dishes, yeah. and many people have tried to recreate it and have uh, failed. Yes, oh, <laughs> interesting. I have to try it. Yeah, I like this. I didn't share anyone to make. No, this. it's on in a special dish. It yeah. would definitely be something special.
Latha, the refugee chefs at Sanctuary Kitchen, and Raven all came to be in New Haven for different reasons, and the parts they play in the complex food landscape of the city differ as well. But they all call the Elm City home, and they all shed light on a particular need of the city, be it a central policy avenue connecting the food landscape to the city government, or the integration of newly arrived refugees, or access to land and fresh produce in an urban context. Organizations like Sanctuary Kitchen and Love Fed are two puzzle pieces that fill an important niche in the city's food ecosystem. They provide a particular solution to a particular problem. But what about the bigger puzzle that is the Elm City's food system at large, with all of its problems and correspondingly all of its possibilities of change? Here's Raven on the visioning party Love Fed recently hosted. We want to have a vision boarding party. This is around the time of the year, the end of the year or the beginning of the new year where people get together. How do we want to map out our lives? And we thought, how do we want, with Lauren Kim, who was in our young adult program, her and I were thinking, what do we do as far as like a storytelling around food and environmental justice? And so this idea of the vision boarding came up because it was like, what would it look like for community members of a place and making space for people who identify as Black, Indigenous, people of color coming together in solidarity and communally sharing food, coming together, envisioning what we want the change to be in our food systems, because we know that they're not broken, but working just how they were meant to, and that is to enact and engage in like this food apartheid. But what would it look like if we, in our wildest dreams, or at least starting right in this place of trying to imagine and get out of what we know already exists, but what would it look like if something like breastfeeding was supported more so in society, or if we had more farmers of color throughout the state, or if land was accessible? or just from the process of production to distribution. What do all these sectors kind of look like and how would we want to see that change happen? And it was really interesting. But because it's also just a visioning thing, we see it as a first step in kind of a longer process of in a more intentional and like action-oriented way, what do we do with this information that is the next thing. Like we could also potentially use it for bettering the programming of Love Fed and taking it to different folks when it comes to policy, because we also know that many things are going to change if we can't change them as far as like legislatively. So how do we take this information and use it to our betterment of our future? Not only does the Visioning Party represent a slice of the enthusiastic energy of New Haven's cross-cutting community of food activists, it also reflects their optimistic hopes for more inclusive possibilities in the future. Latha hopes to use her unique policy platform to translate some of these effervescent possibilities into policy. I hope that the New Haven food system will continue to grow to meet the current and future needs of all its residents as they so desire. Like I said, I don't want to be too prescriptive and people's needs and demands change over time. So I can say that one thing is that I hope that there's increased awareness about all the amazing and meaningful and passionate work that's already being done around food systems in New Haven. And part of the various networks that I'm a part of, I think this can look like local, regional, national and even international recognition. I also hope that 
more people start thinking about the issues around food more systemically, how legacies of oppression have and continue to shape the food system. And through this increased awareness, I hope that kind of helps reframe how we approach some of these issues, the policies, the programs, how organizations can position themselves. The Food-Centered Coalition Building in New Haven strives to make the city a more equitable home for all its residents. The general kind of small town mentality of, no, I got to like leave this place to do whatever work I need to do. I think there's a lot of opportunity oftentimes when we think things are missing from a place. That's where there's the other way of looking at it and shifting your perspective. It's like where there's a void, like there's also an opportunity. New Haven food activists are unafraid to point out the things that's missing in the city landscape. And more importantly, they are unafraid to imagine and actualize all the possibilities of change. From the Yale Sustainable Food Program, this has been Chewing the Fat. In the episode notes, you'll find a great list of COVID-19 resources compiled by the New Haven Food Policy Council. We also wanted to spotlight LoveFed and Sanctuary Kitchen's efforts today. LoveFed is continuing its home farms campaign to empower New Haven residents with their own garden beds. To learn more about this initiative and LoveFed more generally, visit lovefednewhaven.org or follow them on Instagram at lovefednhv. Sanctuary Kitchen is providing pickup and delivery meals during this pandemic. For more information, visit sanctuarykitchen.org or follow them on Instagram at sanctuarykitchenct. CitySeed, its parent organization, has also organized pre-order pickups at its farmers markets with additional benefits for SNAP recipients. Special thanks to Amna Asale, Carol Bayer Alcaraz, Latha Swami, Raven Blake, and Sumaya Khan for speaking with us. This episode was produced by Alexis Stanger, Amy Zhang, Lin Nguyen, Sasha Samina, Thomas Hagen, and myself, Erwin Lee. Sasha also mixed this episode and created its music. Additional recording and audio support by Ryan McAvoy of the L Broadcast Studio. Jingles by Eddie Joe Antonio and Luis De Felice. Artwork by Logan Howard. Program support by Jacqueline Mono, Jeremy Oldfield, and Mark Bomford. See you in two weeks. Until then, stay safe and be kind to one another.